Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Anyway, so I'm so excited to be chatting with you because, first of all, you're awesome. I like, I, there's a lot of people that I totally love to like look up to, and you are one of them because I am a bodybuilder, which means I might have some type A athletic mm. tendencies. I and see. the thing about that is, is I've learned that those don't necessarily get you the places you need to go. And I'm understanding of that, but a lot of the people around me, I'm, I'm heavily immersed in the bodybuilding world and the athletic world. And I see so many people doing so much more harm than good when they're trying to be successful in a bodybuilding, um, you know, sport. So Anyway, I think you could probably, as a, a professional athlete yourself, shed a lot of light on that for my listeners. Let's hit that topic hard. I'm ready. Tell me when to, tell me when to light it. it up. Yeah. yeah, light it up right now. So first of all, I think you should start by introducing yourself because you're kind of a big deal. <laughs> oh my gosh, Connie, you sent me a wonderful message and I really appreciate you reaching out. I love what you're doing with your show. And uh, I took a took a good look at all that stuff, and uh, you're spreading an important message. So I think we have that connection going. We're going to have a great show here. And just while we were talking off uh, off the recording, uh, yeah, we have a big giant elephant in the room to discuss here with the athletic population, the the fitness enthusiasts that are listening to the podcast. So I look forward to uh, I look forward to sharing, and hopefully, in some cases, people can. Uh, do as I recommend rather than having to learn the hard way like I did when I was racing as a professional triathlete. And of course, learning the lesson over and over again, even here in adult life, as I get into the higher age groups and still try to challenge myself and do these awesome workouts. And then um, two days later, I'm wondering, oh, why did I why did I push myself that hard? I forgot I'm 55 years old now. I can't do that crap anymore. So it's a constant learning experience. It's a process. And uh, boy, it's it's going to be um, it's going to be fun to uh, hit some hit some of the heavy points here. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to have you on. Um, as we were talking off camera, I'm surrounded and immersed in the bodybuilding community and the fitness community. And as you know, being in athletics and fitness for a long period of time, there's so much fake news out there <laughs> and especially in the bodybuilding and fitness fitness space, people think the harder you go, the better your results are going to be. And if you're not training hard every day, then you better just go home because you're not going to make the, the gains you want in the gym. Yeah, I think a great place to start, you, you teed me up. Uh, so, so get ready, listeners, fasten your seatbelt here. And this is the starting point that we have to recognize. Um, there's a word called payoff. The, the life coaches use it, the, the, the therapists and stuff. And when you behave in a certain way, you're getting a payoff. It might not be uh, the payoff you have in mind or that you like to uh, uh, express to other people when you're stating these high-minded goals and ideals for why you're athletic and why you have a commitment to fitness, but you're getting some sort of payoff. And a lot of it's this 
habitual subconscious programming that we're playing out. So a lot of athletes that push themselves too hard are are coming from a place of uh, um, you know stored emotional memories and traumas that they're trying to uh, trying to deal with and process, just like people do when they drink too much alcohol in the bar or do other uh, self destructive behaviors. So to acknowledge that the overtraining patterns, if they're showing up again and again, uh, it's merely a way to uh, you know burn off excess energy or process something that's not whole about yourself. And, you know, kind of give yourself a break and realize just sitting back, maybe the listening to this podcast will be a life changing moment for you. But when we push ourselves too hard, it might be related to self esteem issues, um, difficulty coping with other forms of stress in modern life. And we're behaving in a manner that's incongruent with our stated goals. Because every bodybuilder says, I, I want to get jacked. I want to compete in the contest. I want to do better. Uh, I want to improve my, my standards. But then you're behaving in a day-to-day pattern that doesn't, doesn't align with what you just said. And so when we behave in a manner that's incongruent with our stated goals, uh, it creates pain and suffering in life. There's just no way to get around that. And I had to realize this myself as a triathlete, where I'd, I'd tell my sponsors and my friends and anyone who would listen to the magazine interview that my goal is to win the, the national championship this year and improve my ranking and be the fastest guy to the top of the hill on the bike. And then I'm out there pedaling my bike on a day when I have a sore throat and I have to come home and I know better, right? We all know better when we're uh, doing a few more reps and our shoulders starting to, to burn up and we realize that we have scar tissue in there and we're messing up our bodies, but we still do it. And we tell ourselves a lie or whatever at the time. But then at some point you have to face yourself, look in the mirror, whatever it takes, get out your journal and ask yourself, why am I behaving in a manner different than my stated goals? Uh, I remember this one guy I used to train with who used to overtrain like crazy. And every time you worked out with him, it was a race. It wasn't casual. We couldn't enjoy just the camaraderie. He always had to be the first guy at the top of the hill. And one time I called him on, I'm like, dude, why are you always racing and comparing and trying to be one half wheel ahead of the other people that you bike with? And he goes, well, I don't compete in real races. So these workouts are like races for me. And I love kicking ass and competing. So that guy was totally congruent with his stated goal of kicking your ass on this routine workout that didn't mean anything to me or the other people who were preparing for real races and trying to fashion ourselves as real athlete. But he, in many ways, was more evolved than someone who was surreptitiously trying to compete or get one more extra workout in to feed the ego uh, rather than rest, which is what we knew we were supposed to do. So we got to get to this point where it's like, okay, here's what I'm all about. Here's why I'm doing this. And if your answer, listener, if your answer is, I'm doing this to, to feed my fragile ego and be the baddest ass person in the gym and have other people look at me when I'm doing the weights in the corner because I grunt louder than everybody else while I'm doing the curls, hey, you can't judge that. If that's where you are in life, that's fine. But when we mix in these other things that we want to be a competitor, oh, and want to be healthy while we're pursuing these, uh, these you know, high-performance athletic goals, then we have to sort through all the nonsense and, and get real. Shit's getting real, just like the virus thing that's slowing everybody down in, in the world. Let's get real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's sad because I see it not only in training – 
I see it with everything. People bullying themselves over how much water they drank, what they're eating. Oops, I ate a little bit too much or no, I didn't eat enough or I didn't get a gallon of water in. And it's this constant stress of trying to not just keep up because it's what you should do, right? But trying to do it because everybody around you seems to be being perfect. So maybe you should try that too. Yeah. And we're set up today to buy into this garbage with social media and social comparison uh, more more easily happening now than at any other time in history. You simply can't escape the spotlight that's shining on you and everyone else's spotlight that they're showing to you. So it's you know, it's always easy to get caught up in comparison. Uh, I had an expert on my podcast, uh, the uh, mindfulness expert, uh, Dr. Alicia Goldstein, uh, and he was talking about this um, disease state of uh, FOMO and, and FOQ. You know what FOQ is, Connie? Mm-hmm. F-O-K-U. Mm-hmm. Fear, fear of keeping up. FOQ. Yeah, yeah. FOQ yep. too. Yeah. So <laughs> um, these are so prevalent and, and so uh, we're so drawn to it that they have a, a massive destructive impact on our health. I had another guest named Dr. Ron Sinha, who takes care of uh, very high-income, high-tech workers in California's Silicon Valley. And he has correlated this sensation in your mind of FOMO, fear of missing out, with actual metabolic disease patterns. So these people have higher blood pressure, higher stress hormone levels, uh, suppressed immune function due to the mindset that they're not making as much money as their neighbor and they, they want more and they're not comfortable and they're not satisfied. Even though this is the single highest income population group anywhere in America, maybe the world in Silicon Valley, they make two and a half times the national income average working for these leading companies like Facebook, Google, Oracle, and the people that he actually takes care of. So, we can all succumb to this. I mean, think of the bodybuilding population where their physiques and their fitness levels are at the 99.99th percentile, uh, but we have uh, people looking in the mirror thinking that they're too fat and feeling negative and insecure about that, <laughs> where anywhere else, if they walked into the market, they would turn heads due to the, you know, how impressive their physique is. So it's all about our own mindset and our, our, our power to, to take charge of these negative self-limiting beliefs and behavior patterns and do something different that's more fun. And amen to that because like that's what part of why I reached out to you because some of the stuff you say is it hits that it's so head on, you know, like I was type A athlete, you know, ran myself into the ground literally to the point of where my health took a major nosedive and in the in the words of yourself, you can only have the gas pedal on for so long before you spin out and I spun out hard. And I knew it was coming and I knew it was wrong, but my, (laughs) here's the key word here, my ego wouldn't let me slow down. And I see this happening to other people in my my world. And, you know, I kind of try to say, hey, you know, you need to back it off or if you need to take a rest day, do it. Or not every day you're going to be going in there and, you know, pumping iron the way you had envisioned it. It's just not going to be, you know, it's not going to be everything you think every day. And so... But it's really, really hard to to uh, to convey that to somebody that hasn't had the crash and burn experience yet. Well, there's another element here that I think we should mention when we're talking about that payoff, and we're all uh, creatures that respond to incentives and 
uh, uh, hits of different hormones flooding the brain and giving us sensations of pleasure and happiness and contentment and all these things. And so when you perform that high intensity workout and push yourself really hard as the type A person, you get an incredible payoff, not only your ego, but also in the flow of these adrenaline-like hormone, these chemicals, they call them endorphins a lot, where after you do that workout, you get a pain-killing sensation that's uh, second to none. And so you're in this buzz, drug-like state for hours after these workouts where you feel fantastic. I don't know how to, anyone can uh, relate, but to describe it, you just kind of feel chill, you're calm, you're satisfied with yourself, you're in this wonderful zone where you're, it's kind of like um, uh, having a a, a wonderful uh, whirlwind romance where you're in love and you went to the uh, the amusement park and you had some cotton candy and and the uh, the person gave you a kiss at the door and it was surprising to you and you're you're singing along and dancing your way over to uh, your social media to report to everyone about it but mm-hmm. when we're in these uh, hormonal these chemical highs it's very very powerful it's very difficult to recognize that gee I'm on another hormonal high right now so I might not be making good decisions um, but that's that's in play here and it's very powerful and it's very compelling. So I feel like discussing this and realizing that you're not a bad person, you're not a loser, you're not a jerk for going and pushing yourself too hard, but understanding why you're doing it, the payoff that you receive, and then making a sensible, mindful decision to say, is this worth it? And like the guy I described that I that I bicycled with back in the old days, yeah, it was worth it to him. He loved kicking people's ass and being the first guy at the top of the hill every time. Uh, so we got to just kind of, uh, I guess, um, recommend that you want to pursue sort of bigger picture goals that lead to, remember I said those other terms, happiness and contentment. So we have that instant payoff in, in pleasure. That's a dopamine hit. That's the adrenaline hormones flooding your system for a short period of time and giving you uh, the instant boost of instant gratification. When you do that too frequently, it comes at the expense of your ability to achieve long-term happiness and contentment. And everyone that's plunged into the overtraining spiral, like you described, that was no fun at all. And it was the opposite of happiness and contentment because you get uh, depressed, anxious, run down, and, and feeling uh, you know lousy, worse than average, because you're having to recover from the three months or the nine months or the two years that you pushed your body too hard. So if we can kind of dial back our desire for this instant hit of, of dopamine, of instant gratification, and look at our goals in a more long-term manner and realize that a rest day is a wonderful experience because it's allowing us to uh, progress with our fitness rather than uh, get stagnant or, or, or decline when we do it uh, too hard. Awesome. Well, and it's interesting that you said that, and it makes complete sense to me because Um, They're noticing now with children and screen time, they're so used to picking up a phone and looking at it to get that dopamine hit that their brains are actually no longer um, making its own dopamine without something to stimulate it. And that's they're um, having studies now that are linking that to the reason why a lot of um, adolescents and stuff are having severe depression and anxiety and, and all these crazy things. So it makes perfect sense to me. It's kind of um, all over the place with all sorts of things. 
forget I was thinking, yeah, children and adolescents, that's particularly tragic, but uh, adults are doing the same damn thing. And in a lot of cases, yeah. we're the ones that are driving this behavior is because kids, uh, you know, behave in, in model of the adults around them. But Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, the, the tragic part is, um, you know, especially my life, it's probably been half of my life has been completely uh, absent of digital technology, mobile technology. And then the other half, you know, the last, whatever, what have we been 20 or 25 years since this stuff has gone crazy? The mobile devices has only been uh, about 15 years, right? So uh, a lot of us listening can remember those times where we'd go over in college or whatever your age group is, where you'd go and hang out with your friends and sit around and talk. And there maybe wasn't even a TV on. And now, mm-hmm. my gosh, we're in the same room texting each other across the room and all those, you know, commentary that we're all familiar with that's pretty destructive. But yeah, there's, um, there's some wake-up calls necessary. And I think what's cool about fitness and pursuing those goals in the gym or out on the roads, whatever you're doing, is these can be sort of a catalyst to improve your life in every way. So if you can be disciplined with the structure of your training program and balancing the stress and rest of your uh, supersets and your uh, heavy leg day, and then you know blending this thing skillfully and staying disciplined and focused on uh, the long-term goals and charting everything carefully, if that's your thing, being disciplined with your diet, but also enjoying the process of it, these kind of behaviors can carry over into all other areas of your life. So you'll be that person that works really hard during the day, is really focused, and then when it's time to click off, you put everything down, you go and play with your kids, you interact with your family and your loved ones, and you, you show that same level of discipline and structure to, uh, to these matters, just like you are as an athlete in the gym. That's awesome. Um, or, or, I forgot to say, or the other one is if you're that uh, undisciplined, dysregulated dopamine freak with your workout patterns, guess how that's going to play over into every other area of your life, including your relationships, your job. It's going to be kind of a, uh, a just a, an, another outlet for this dysfunctional behavior rather than a growth experience, which is what I think uh, everyone who's in fitness wants it to be. Make yourself a better person, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that goes for not just elite athletes. Um, I think it goes for everybody. I think a lot of people, when they decide to start their fitness journey or their you know, clean eating journey or whatever, whatever have you. Um, I think they think they need to go into the gym seven days a week and just crush these hour long workouts and do everything at a hundred miles an hour when that in fact isn't the case. Yeah. There's a point with the workout where, you, you know, basically you're going in there and you're stressing yourself. You're spiking these stress hormones, the fight or flight response, and that can be hugely beneficial to your health and your fitness progress if you do it in the proper manner. So doing these brief explosive efforts where you're hoisting a heavy weight, or I like to sprint, I go to the, the, the football field, the running track and do these sprints, but there's a cutoff point where you can either destroy your health or you can boost it if you do the workouts properly. And the athletes kind of push that red, they push that envelope, they, they straddle that red line where they're constantly challenging their health because they're doing just a few too many reps or the workouts lasting an hour, like you said, instead of 42 minutes or, or 37 minutes or places where uh, I think a lot of times you can notice 
when you should stop the workout, when you've achieved your maximum benefit, and then you're starting to feel less explosive when you do your fourth set of box jumps or your fifth set of uh, uh, deadlifts. And at those times, I've talked to a lot of experts about this. I'm trying to stay on the cutting edge and learn how to train my body the best and, and achieve peak performance and delay aging is a big uh, you know, aspiration of mine right now. There's definitely a point where when you lose that explosiveness and your performance starts to decline and your form starts to go, that's when you invite injury, breakdown, burnout, suppressed immune function, catching a cold. And in the triathlon scene, the endurance scene, you know, I'd, I'd get a little sore throat uh, six times a year, easily, maybe 10 times a year. And when I was smart enough to say, oops, I'm not perfect today. I'm going to pull the plug on my entire life and stay in bed. I was a professional, so I had the opportunity to guide my lifestyle around that. Not everyone does, but I think you get the point. When I was mm -hmm. able to back off from training, for however long it took to feel normal and energized at rest, I would get back into it after a day or two days or maybe three days, right? But if I insisted on carrying on and going and doing what was going to be a half-assed workout anyway because I wasn't feeling perfect, these colds and these minor respiratory infections would stay in my system for two weeks. Reliably, every time, it would take two weeks to work through even a slight cold. And um, boy, that's, you know, looking back and reading through my training logs, if you're listening now and you don't believe me or you haven't had the experience to really reference this, um, it's, it's pretty crazy because even if you start to feel a little better after two or three days of a slight cold and you go back in the gym, you say, yeah, I'm, com I'm coming back from a cold. I'm just going to go light today. Go look back at your uh, workout performances and you are suboptimal for two weeks from the slightest little disturbance in immune function. And that starts to add up when I told you I get it, you know, six times a year, <laughs> six times two weeks of uh, subpar, that's 12 weeks. Uh, so yeah. I, I learned, you know, the hard way that a couple days of mistraining, big difference. And then as an athlete, as a fit person, boy, your immune system is turbocharged. It's better. It's far better than the average person's immune function. You can knock these colds out in a short time unless you continue to exercise, then you have vastly inferior immune function to the average person. And boy, we're talking about the coronavirus. The recording is happening here in March of 2020. And you know, this is a serious deal here. Uh, my good friend Gordo Byrne, who writes a wonderful blog about family fitness and finances, he said, athletes, reduce training by 40% for the duration of this uh, this self-quarantine and this uh, social distancing, because otherwise you're inviting big, big trouble. Either that or you're going to be bulletproof and you're not going to get the worry about getting the virus. Mm -hmm. Well, and I find it interesting that you said that because somebody mentioned something about um, a bunch of NBA players right now being infected with that. And they're like, that doesn't make sense because they're like at the top of their game. And, they're, and I said, actually... It's the opposite, in my opinion. They've been training for so long that they're actually dealing um, with a weakened immune state, you know? Well, especially those guys. I think one article referred to them as like super carriers or something because they're traveling like crazy. 
their travel schedule is insane. It's harder than the actual basketball games, the way they have to get on those airplanes and fly back in the middle of the night and land and then wake up the next day and have a game the next night. So not only are they pushing themselves with the, the physical effort of the games, that jet travel is an extreme stressor. So for that 82-game NBA season, uh, and you have also the elite soccer players and these other athletes that are testing positive. Yeah, they're in, they're in an extremely high risk category, just like an elderly person. And I would say the same if we walk into any neighborhood gym where you see the people that are really serious and working hard, I'm going to identify them as extremely high risk for immune issues. And also uh, a particularly interest to me now at age 55 is when you're in there working hard on your fitness ambitions, you're either going to delay the aging process really nicely, or you're going to accelerate it if you push yourself too hard. And I can't tell you how many people in the endurance scene are getting the joint replacements and falling apart and having these weird illnesses and uh, even heart problems are, be are becoming an extremely common occurrence among very highly trained endurance athletes. There's articles on the internet you can search for. One of them's called Running on Empty. Another one's called One Foot in the Grave. If you just Google these articles and it talks about these super superhuman performers, even elite performers, just falling apart and experiencing a total system breakdown because they're running on fumes for two years and that's all that lasts and then everything falls apart. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned that about runners because I think every athlete can have that happen to them, but you wouldn't believe being in the bodybuilding space. How many people are like, well, your joints are going to fall apart as soon as you get older and all of this stuff. And it's like, well, you know, it depends. They're like, how long do you plan on doing this for? And I'm, I said, you know, I don't plan on competitively bodybuilding forever. You know, I'd like to stay in the space. I love the people. But, you know, I want to be able to lift weights because that is metabolically healthy for you. Yeah, the cool thing is, especially in uh, our youthful years, if we can uh, ascend to a really super high fitness level, uh, this has a lasting effect possibly for the rest of your life, even if you back off to 10% of what you used to do. It's really, really easy. Exercise physiology uh, proves this in a lot of studies. You can maintain a semblance of your fitness, not competitive level where you're ready to go on stage or whatever, or in my case, you know, go on the starting line of a triathlon, but I can still swim across a lake in the summertime for 20 minutes or whatever, even if I haven't trained in 20 years. Uh, and then getting the, the metabolic function, the fat burning capabilities up to that highest level through, let's say, dietary transformation, where a lot of people are into the low carb ancestral eating scene, where they teach their bodies to burn fat. And then if you go on a, a cruise for seven days and eat a bunch of ice cream and, and cheesecake and uh, treats and slam your body with unfamiliar decadent foods, you're going to cope with it really easily and get back into that baseline healthy fat burning function because you have years and years of momentum on your side. So that's what's cool about you know getting into it for a healthy phase of life. I was a professional triathlete for nine years. I gave my heart and soul to the sport, all my energy every single day. And it was a nice little segment of my life now to think back and, and have you know great experiences and leverage those experiences to other things. But it certainly wouldn't be healthy to do it forever at the level that I tried to do it, nor not even possible. So I think we have to figure out a way to age gracefully 
with our athletic goals and fitness aspirations where they are perfectly aligned with our current lifestyle circumstances. You're a mom, right? The fit farming food. Yeah. Mom. Yeah. So yeah, and actually that's why I'm sitting right here today because I got booted out of my office. It's full of baby chickens. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, right. So you've got a lot of stuff going on and yeah. your fitness aspirations can be a beautiful balance to being super mom at home or dealing with the baby chickens, uh, or they can kind of destroy everything if you, if you do it in the wrong way. So that's when the athletes especially have to be sensitive to the other life responsibilities that we have and make everything a perfect fit. Right. And you know, it's interesting because I, I had slowly learned about a year ago that I needed to start backing things off. Well, just recently I had to have reconstructive hip surgery and that took everything to a slamming stop right there. And in that process, I've learned that my body is pretty happy taking the load back and relaxing and, you know, taking time to do other things and, you know, and so now I, I've learned that if I get back into my training, I'm going to be able to attack it at a less intense level and still see results. You know, it's going to be a different, I'm going to attack things a totally different way because it's not necessary that you go in a hundred percent all the time. Yeah. One thing that happens is that will really surprise you is you might be very, very close to where you were when you were going, going crazy in the gym you know, just from a, 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 a nuanced revised approach. And this is something that's been forced upon me as I got older, I can't train or recover as well. But let's say if I can do a workout once a week, that's just as impressive as something I did 20 years ago. And maybe I was able to do it two or three times a week because I was such a badass back then and everything was easier. Guess what? If you can perform at a high level once in a while, that's all we're measuring and judging you by. It's what you're doing at your best, not what you're doing at your average. No one cares except you and your training log. And um, th that's an awakening for athletes of any age at any level. And I had to learn that when I was uh, competing on the pro circuit because you know I was, I was training and competing with the very best guys from all over the world. And some of them, to me anyway, they just seem like genetic freaks. They were so strong and resilient that they could wake up every single day and train hard all day long. And that was more of your normal human person where I could go out there and train hard with them and we could do a 120 mile bike ride and kick some butt and the last hour was really fast. And boy, the next day I needed to watch some videos and just kick it. I did not have the genetic capability to get up the next day and go for four hours easy, which is what a lot of these guys did. They just were, were just, you know, the bomb and, and you couldn't even compare yourself to them or you'd get discouraged. So I had to form some new beliefs that I didn't have to keep up with them all the time. But when it came time to toe the line for the race, let's say I performed favorably, I was able to compete with them. Then I'd go home with this notion that I needed to honor my own instincts, my own intuition about what training worked best for me without necessarily referencing it to the people that I was competing against, especially if they happen to be doing a lot more than me. That's just a, a path to getting discouraged. So we all have to figure out our own genetic particulars. Now they have this cool testing that you can do. Uh, I work with a company called DNA Fit, and now the price is really affordable. It used to be like several hundred dollars now for, I think, I don't know, 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks, you can spit into a tube, send it off to England. And uh, a little bit later, you get a PDF printout 
of your genetic particulars of your muscle fiber composition and things like that. And I came out to be surprisingly, you know, I was a lifelong endurance athlete doing these crazy triathlon things that last for hours. Uh, my genetic profile was 56% uh, power strength and 44% endurance. And it was an absolute shock to me that I was kind of a half and half guy rather than an extreme endurance guy. And I realized, thinking back to my training patterns, that I was fighting against my genetics for the duration of my career because I was trying to train like these endurance superstars that were most likely 80% endurance and 20% strength power. So what that meant to me, if you look at my genetic profile, what I should have been doing was more rest more easier and shorter workouts to, to, you know, nourish those anaerobic muscle fibers that are explosive and need more recovery time, but that can perform at a, at a higher level than an endurance muscle fiber and sort of work with that and apply that to my competitive goal. So that's just to make a distinction, like whatever your competitive goals are and your favorite thing to do, if you like to do short distance stuff and, and power events in the gym, that's great. Even if you're a high-profile endurance genetics, you can still compete in these explosive events. It's just a way to inform your training to what maybe that person goes in and does three hard uh, squat deadlift sessions a week instead of one or two if you have different genetics. So that's kind of the point I was making there is that we figure these things out, what works best for us, and then we apply it to whatever competitive goal we choose. Mm-hmm. Well, and I noticed that too, um, in my own personal, you know, life is I was going from training these absolutely insane workouts to backed it off to just doing like a couple of compound heavy workouts a week. And I was still looking the same way. And I was started thinking, well, why was I working so hard to look this way when I could be doing this, you know? Yeah, I'm working on a new book now, Connie. It's about eating two meals a day and kind of attacking the um, the body composition goals and the health goals from a, a standpoint of just eating less frequently and getting better at fasting and burning stored body fat. And a lot of research is coming out now in recent years. Uh, they call it the compensation theory or the total energy expenditure theory. And these are mind-blowing insights for athletes that the workout calories that you burn with such great devotion and intensity in the gym matter very little to your body composition. And it's almost entirely dependent on your dietary choices and specifically your ability to uh, minimize insulin production because most of us in the eating the, the standard American diet are producing way too much insulin. So in the case of an exercising athlete, what happens when you go in the gym and you kick butt for an hour from 6 a.m. to 7.30 and you burn all these calories and do all this impressive work is that for the rest of that day to simplify this concept about the compensation theory, your body finds ways to burn fewer calories and be generally more lazy, more sluggish, slower moving as a compensatory mechanism against the massive amount of calories you burned in the gym workout. Secondly, you also find ways to consume more food because you stimulate the appetite hormones. Uh, your satiety hormones just want you to consume more calories than normal as a way to recover from the stress of the exercise session. So that's not to discount the wonderful benefits that you get from working out hard and building your fitness and making your organs and your muscles stronger. But when it comes to looking good and getting on the, the cover of the, uh, the, podcast, uh, uh, the podcast logo, that is almost entirely 
uh, dietary modification. I think the bodybuilders know this pretty well when you cut up for the contest and all these things can happen. Yeah, you feel like death. (laughs) You feel like death when you're so lean like that. Yeah, I mean, going to those extremes is obviously for a specific purpose, but I think the the goal of just looking your best in general everyday life, that's kind of the population that I talk to. And Mm -hmm. it's a real, it's an amazing uh, insight to realize how little exercise matters and how Mm -hmm. much the, um, you know, the the free hall passes that we flash when we're athletes to go grab some ice cream because we kick butt in the gym that morning. Those are the kind of things that either balance out or even can serve to, uh, you know, compromise your your fat reduction goals. Right. Well, and you know, I love that you say that because that's kind of a point where I've come to in my life is I, I love the sport. I, I'm probably not done competing, but I do question whether I will again or not considering I want to feel good and be fit. And I think that there's, like you said, there's a perfect spot to find that where you can just be an everyday person and be in good shape. And then there's the shredded, you know, photos, competition. And at that point you are not healthy and you don't feel good. And I know I catch a lot of hate in, um, the bodybuilding industry, especially locally here. Um, because like you were, there's so many things where you talk, you know, uh, the same thing with carbohydrates, you know, we are way over carbohydrate doing it. I mean, I see coaches throwing so much carbohydrates at people and they're saying, well, you won't get gains if you don't eat this much. And then, you know, there's just so much to, to it. And, and I, and I feel like you're right. Like we need to start eating less carbohydrate. And then also we, um, we need to take care of ourselves a little bit more as far as our training goes. Good point. Well said. I mean, one thing that occurs to me is when you are athletic and you're burning all these calories, you do kind of have some, uh, you know, free reign to celebrate and enjoy life and maybe go have that slice of cheesecake or that uh, bowl of ice cream that you, you know, you enjoy as a reward for working hard. Uh, but there's another element here and that is for the athlete, you have really highly refined nutritional needs, far more so than the average Joe who's eating the ice cream and the cheesecake with you. So you're pushing your body so hard that there really is a a justification for a more nutrient-dense diet rather than a less nutrient-dense diet, which is what we see because people have the free pass to eat these calories that have no nutrition and burn them off the next morning and it's no big deal and they still have good body fat. But I think when we focus on that goal of increasing nutrient density, boy, that can go a long way to uh, making good decisions in the diet. Because if you eat enough of the highly nutritious, satisfying foods, the naturally naturally nutritious foods, you're not going to have as much tendency to want to hit the Ben and Jerry's at nighttime. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a great uh, leader in the ancestral health scene, Dr. Tommy Wood. He's been on my podcast three times. And I remember some of his uh, quips, like he works with a lot of uh, extreme high-performing athletes in a variety of sports, particularly endurance, and they're transitioning over from this high-carbohydrate eating pattern that you're talking about to more ancestral style with the, the healthy foods. And he says, you know, these people send their dietary uh, profiles in and it says breakfast, uh, uh, two eggs, half an avocado, a couple slices of bacon. He's like, eat a real breakfast, man. How about six eggs, the whole avocado, you know, the large portions of the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you get a truly nutritious, filling, satisfying meal, 
especially as an athlete where, look, I'm opening up a whole can of sardines. I'm making an omelet with six or seven egg yolks, putting the Mm -hmm. sardines inside, maybe some other stuff like uh, sun-dried tomatoes and melted cheese. And I have this beautiful meal with a full avocado sliced on top, not a quarter or something. And that's, Mm -hmm. I don't even think about food for the rest of the day because I'm getting myself such good stuff. But on those other times when, for whatever reason, uh, you're skimping on the good stuff, those are the times that you tend to be reaching into the bag of chips or whatever it is to kind of, again, hit those dopamine pathways and give yourself instant pleasure because you're depleted and your brain is telling you to consume calories of any kind just to get your energy back. Right. And I've noticed that a lot too. So I've been paleo for uh, predominantly five years. And, but in the last year, I've kind of moved more towards a carnivore, straight carnivore deal. <laughs> you know, uh, after my show, it was actually Dr. Ken Berry that convinced me to do this. Um, after my show, I had a lot going on. I was in really bad shape. It was probably the hardest prep I ever put myself through. And I couldn't get my body to respond back to me. And I was just like, you know, I'm going to go carnivore. And I was only going to do it for 30 days and it continued on and on and on. And now I've added a couple things back, but predominantly that's what I do. And I function really well off of that. Yeah, it's fascinating what's happening so quickly in the diet scene. I mean, two or three years ago, um, we would have scoffed at the idea of just eating animal products and eliminating all these nasty plants that we've been told are the centerpiece and everyone agrees is the centerpiece of a healthy diet. But I'm fascinated by the message that's being conveyed by Dr. Paul Saladino, Dr. Sean Baker, the other leaders in the space, and very interested in it myself. And it's hard Mm -hmm. to deny or argue with the idea that you know, you're emphasizing the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. Uh, so if you want to have some, some broccoli with, with butter on top as an accoutrement to your uh, grass-fed steak or your nice cut of fish, um, I don't want to get, you know, too ridiculous and, and too yeah. deep into the debate. But to kind of approach diet from that perspective and also acknowledge that a lot of these plant foods have uh, toxins and things that may be potentially uh, reactive to the individual. And by eliminating them, you can maybe experience a health awakening or see how things are working for you and how you can continue to optimize. So I'm always trying to maintain an open mind, try something new. I tried this crazy carnivore stuff. Feels fantastic. I mean, it's it's hard to uh, dispute when you feel better and your hormone profiles are improved and the things that I write about. My testosterone has gone up even as an old guy, and you can attribute it to smarter training decisions and a more nutrient dense diet. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, kind of back to what we were talking about with people that are overtraining and overstressing them themselves. I guess what would if you had to convey anything at all to people that are doing this and help them identify, um, you know, potential things, red flags, I guess, um, in their training, uh, what kind of advice would you give to people? Uh, be careful taking advice from people yapping on a podcast because it's all <laughs> up to you and it's your life and you could do whatever you want. And so I wanted to start the show with that message that I think we got into a good groove there and and set the tone really nicely that it's okay if you want to go to the gym and tear yourself up five days a week. Just know where it's heading and examine maybe why you're making these decisions and is there a possibility of something more beautiful and more rewarding. And so 
you know, if you kind of take the pressure off and quit scolding people or shaming them or doing things. I mean, everyone's heard this message, like don't overtrain, it's terrible and uh, you'll get fat and you'll, you'll fall apart and you'll get injured. Everyone knows this and we've heard it. It's just like talking about getting enough sleep. Sleep mm-hmm. is really important, especially for athletes. Oh, really, Brad? Thanks for being on my show. You know, we, we yeah, all nod yeah. and we, we all know this. And then tonight we're going to make a decision to either continue the movie. I was watching a movie with my kids last night, Mission Impossible, the, the most recent one. And it was so good and exciting. And then we pushed the button and we realized there's an hour to go on it. And I'm like, I'm out. We're, you know, we, we can't finish. <laughs> Let's pick it up another night and have two wonderful nights watching a movie instead of staying up too late and paying the price later. So when we can exert that discipline to realize there's a better way uh, I believe there's a better way because I've heard it from some guy yapping on a podcast and all the shows that you put out and then, you know, have the courage to try something new instead of staying in the pattern forever and ever. Um, that's mm-hmm. when, you know, you can have really nice breakthroughs occur and it's it, it, it's easier said than done, but you got to take a chance one time and, and, you know, a big chance of like taking a rest day instead of going and pushing yourself again, I get emails from people. I've received them for years from endurance athletes saying, Brad, I've just got to thank you because I just had my best race ever because I took a week off before when I got a slight sore throat. You know, those kind of things where it's like an awakening to realize that you don't have to kill yourself to uh, excel. And that's rewarding, right? Because that's why we do this. We do this to hopefully help someone help be that little key that fits in the lock and all of a sudden help somebody make a change, you know? Uh, that's, that's right. And you have to be ready to receive the message. And so mm-hmm. one lesson I've learned in my time as a, a health leader and trying to spread the message and putting out content is you can't waste your energy on someone who's not ready and willing to receive. So if right. you're walking around the gym with your water bottle and uh, trying to uh, tout how your new training program is better because you rest more and you don't push yourself too hard and you know trying to, to grab people and force them to listen to you, it's going to be a really frustrating and futile effort. Um, right. I, this all happened. I remember one time I was talking to a neighbor who stopped me and asked me about my new book that was out about uh, you know going into a more primal paleo eating pattern getting rid of all these refined carbohydrates and i talked to her for you know about a half an hour and it was pretty heavy i mean she was vulnerable she was sharing her frustration with her inability to drop excess body fat and she felt bad about herself and this and that and i said look it's really simple if you cut carbs and you lower your insulin you're going to start burning body fat cuz body fat only gets burned if you're insulin blah 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 i went for half an hour and at the end, she said, well, I can't live without my bread, so I guess I can't do it. And I felt so deflated in you know, uh. leaving the conversation on that note. But if I had been more aware and watched from, from a, a, you know, a spy camera high up above and watched how the conversation was progressing, it was me just doing a sales pitch. I might have tried to sell her a vacuum cleaner instead of been talking about dietary transformation. So I learned this valuable lesson. It's like when people want to come to me with sincerity and they really want to learn, I mean, if they're still listening to the show, maybe, maybe they may uh, uh, press the stop button and, and aren't listening. But if you're still listening to the show at this point and you're ready to receive, hey, uh, you know, listen to the show again and realize how great it feels to be uh, disciplined with not only pushing yourself, but disciplined to take rest and recovery time too. And when the time's right, you'll come to it. 
And if you want to keep putting your head down and overtraining and pushing yourself hard to, uh, you know, massage your ego demands, that's fine too. I'm not going to judge that, but I'll, uh, I'll be ready to help when, when you, the individual are ready. Right. And that's the message that I put out as well is just there, you know, and like you said, they have to be ready to receive it, but also you never know what's going to be that word that's going to trigger that, that moment where they actually sit and think and go, Oh, wow. Maybe that has been happening to me or maybe, you know, Oh, wow. You know, light bulb. Okay. You know, I mean, I've, I've gotten numerous messages from people going, I never thought of something that way. And all of a sudden you said it and I was like, you know, (laughs) amazing. So, um, you know, and that's, that's my goal is to help other people find those triggers, you know, and, and like you said, we're always there if you need us when you do decide you want to make a change, right? Love it. You're doing great stuff, Connie. It's good to talk to you. I, I appreciate it's, you. It was great to talk to you. If people want to find you, how do they find you? Uh, they should stay off social media and go out in nature <laughs> and walk in the park more. <laughs> uh, I love it. My name's bradkearns.com. It's pretty fun. You can see some wild, crazy videos of me doing my thing and... Uh, lock into the podcast there. It's called the Get Over Yourself podcast. I picked that name for a reason and it's not to make fun of the listener, but it's something that I've worked really hard to, uh, to, to, to get to this point where I don't take myself so seriously. I don't attach my self-esteem to the results of what I'm doing. And when I'm able to be in this space where I'm capable of competing with great competitive intensity and passion, but I release my self-esteem to the outcome, I get over myself, that's when I can be in my greatest center of power to do whatever I'm doing. If it's writing a book or doing a podcast or, or competing as an athlete and just putting it out there and, and not worrying or not stressing about the outcome, um, that's you know my kind of theme of the show that I try to continue to bring into all the different interviews and commentary. And I love that. And that's, I discovered you, I think somehow by your name, I don't know how this happened, but then I, I listened to your intro, the very first episode. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's brilliant. And then right from on. then on, I was hooked. So Thanks for I telling appreciate me. It's, your work. Yeah. You know, as you know, we're sitting here in my case, you can see in my video, I have this uh, hall closet that's been converted to a recording studio. So it's a really small space. And I spend, <laughs> you know, hours in here, sometimes all day in here, just talking to the microphone. So to hear people say that you listened to my first show and it got you, it got you into the groove. Oh my gosh, that's great. It makes me feel good. Well, I love it. And then I noticed we all, we have kind of the same circles as far as athletics go and like food and all of these things. And I was just like, man, okay, I got to see if this guy will come on. So I really super appreciate your time. Anytime fit, fat farming. Oh, no, wait, fit farming food mom. (laughs) Fit farming food mom. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So anyway, I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Brad. Right on. Hey there, Primal Blueprint listeners. Did you know that Primal Kitchen collagen peptides help support hair, skin, and nails? Well, we offer a variety of collagen products to suit everyone's palate, from unflavored to mango pineapple or golden turmeric, to our keto matcha or chai tea collagen latte mixes, and much more. Visit us at primalkitchen.com and start fueling your day with collagen peptides. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the primal path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. 
The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.